Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The Square Ball Podcast. Hey, this is Podcast 115. Welcome along. My name's Dan Moylan. With me, Michael Normanson. Hello. And Daniel Chapman. That's Moscow White. Hello. Up for you in a bit, we'll pick our heroes, villains and preview what's going to be the biggest game of the season. At Rotherham up first in just a few moments. First of all, just want to let you know, we're a couple of weeks away from issue seven of the fanzine coming out for the Swansea game, the, the Daniel James Shield, I think that one. You can still pick up issue six if you fancy that feature and yet another superb cover. If you do fancy supporting the podcast, might we humbly point you in the direction of our digital magazine subscription, which works out at like a pound a month. And for all that, you get access to all the magazines that we've done from 2009. Some real happy times in there. Yeah, absolutely. All the way up to now. And you can find all that at thesquareball.net. Well, boys, didn't this come as such a relief after the complete and utter trashing that we gave Rotherham in the last podcast? Never in doubt, was it? No, it was, uh, as we predicted, a routine win against uh, Minnows that we uh, we had nothing to fear from. Man City beat them 7-0. We beat them. We beat them. We beat them. It could have been 7-0. You don't get more points, do you, for scoring more goals? They are important. But anyway, we'll get on to that. Let's just do a bit of housekeeping on the last podcast because we struggled. And I think it was a genuine struggle. We weren't doing that for the sake of uh, appearances in the last podcast players who had played for Rotherham, and there are some that we should perhaps note. Izzy Brown, young chap. Well, he's not technically played for Leeds. He's played for Rotherham. If we're looking at players who, who we know that have played for Rotherham and Leeds, never seen him in a Leeds yet. Paul Green. I mean, all I remember about him is that uh, attempt at a Cruyff turn away at Barnsley, uh, sorry, away at Derby that they scored from. I'm now um, a regular at his, uh, his soft play in Pontefract, so I have got kids, by the way, should point out as well. <laughs> I imagine he swans around there in a Rotherham shirt whenever he gets the chance. Well, I should say, do you know where the last place I saw him was? And that's not at his play area. Do you know where? 
the party room at Tiger Tiger when I was still doing the DJ in there on a Saturday night. Came yeah. in with his missus and I thought, isn't that sad that you've earned so much money probably from professional football and yet you're in here? Lives a glamorous life. I'm surprised he was with his missus. I would have thought it would have been a recreation of the, the famous Leeds holiday when it was a, it was him, Paddy Kenny, Luke Varney. Who was the other one? Was it Nozza? Did David Norris go? Probably. That lot out on the lads on tour. Norris will have cleaned up there by, by far the most handsome of the four. Penetrating blue eyes. That's Whereas uh, Paul Green only had penetrating ginger hair from what I remember. And not to mention, I cannot believe, cannot believe we were searching for the name of a single Rotherham player and you didn't think of your special favourite, your boy. Luciano. I mean, that wasn't amongst the happiest times of his career. I think you really just have to narrow him down to Leeds United and Barcelona, the two clubs where he made the biggest impression. Rotherham was just a, a little down. But yeah, there was bloody loads of them. There's the Warnock managed there last time. Was it last time we played them? But we had, we had a fearful event at their place where we were managed by Steve Evans, they were managed by Neil Warnock, and we lost. Awful, awful times that we have been through. But Redfern there as well. Little Chris Dawson, Redfern took him there for a bit. Uh, yeah, now he's gone to Scarborough via Norway, if he's still even at Scarborough. Has he grown at all yet? No, shrinking. Let's get to the match on Saturday then. And this one followed a similar pattern in, uh, to the Stoke game, really, in that it was bad first half. Back on it in the second and credit to uh, Ajayi for that absolute, I think it's known as a thunder bastard these days. Mm. Good move as well, but annoyingly, first proper move of the match from them. From either team. Well, what Stoke did, they had three really good centre-halves. What Rotherham did is they had eight centre-halves and they had like two lines of four right on the edge of their penalty area. So we were really good at getting the ball to their final third, our final third, their first third, that's how it works. But going beyond that, through that, there was just loads of them. So we just ran out of ideas. Yeah, and then they scored a really good goal, which I don't think is fair. We didn't close him down at all, which was a bit of a shame. Just passing down the left wing, wasn't it? Layoff, layoff, mm. bang. Pablo. Poor tracking from Pablo. Almost looked like Leeds. I mean, a little bit. We haven't moved that fast in a long time, to be honest. It's kind of like the kind of counter-attacking goal we should be scoring. But, but then they had to that. Now. The guy who scored it looked... Carlton Palmerish, big gangly central midfielder. Again, vulgar. Don't need them. Yeah, we've moved on. I mean, Carlton Palmer's forgotten goal against Wimbledon in the Yeboa game in 1995. It was similar to that, just lashing it in from 30 yards, but it'll be a once in a, once a decade occurrence. Rotherham's manager even acknowledged it. Said he'd never seen him do it in training. Yes, with a little joke about the spying, wasn't it? He said Bielsa wouldn't have seen that coming because he's never done it in training. (laughs) What a jolly joke. Uh, what were your thoughts when that one went in then? Did you think, oh, here we go then? Because it felt like a lot hinged on Saturday. It did. I was oddly as nervous as I've been because it felt like we had to win because I know we've we've already done this once, but they are pretty crap. <laughs> and so you've, it's the sort of game that when you're looking at the fixtures, every one of them strikes a bit of panic into you. Mm. But Rotherham is one where you think, no, that's a win. We'll definitely win that. And then, you know, we'll, maybe Norwich might get settle for a point there and then... Oh, I don't know, we've got some tough games coming. But Rotherham's one, you go, yeah, definitely, three points. And then all of a sudden you're losing and you see your whole life crumbling. Pontus Janssen's tweet after the game was one of the most interesting things about this afternoon where he said that the atmosphere they had in the dressing room at halftime is exactly what you need to turn a resort around. And and looking at uh, Bielsa's reaction at the end of the game as well when he hugged his assistant, I think whatever went on in the dressing room at halftime was probably all our fears, all Bielsa's anger. I'd love to hear how Lamrani actually translates 
Bielsa in an angry mood, whether he, he goes in angry as well, um, or whether he just kind of, he can't see that Bielsa's absolutely smashing stuff and screaming at everybody and you just hear, Alioski, you need to be tracking back more. What happened to Clark in this first half? He's 17. No, he's 18, but he's young. Oh, he should be, should be consistent then. But he just looked like, he looked unrecognisable. He looked like he'd, he couldn't control it, he couldn't pass it. What do you think? I mean, he's kind of lost all impacts now by mm. starting because he's not an impact player. We said this before he started starting games, that the risk, well, the joy of it was then that he didn't have instructions. It was just go on, just beat some players. It's the second half. We've And you've seen how they play, so you can... You can tell him, oh, you've seen what their fullback does, beat him on the other wing, which I think Bielsa, one of the reasons he does all these research and players have talked about it from the past is that he'll tell them what to look for when they drop a shoulder, you go the other way. So they can give him that instruction in a game. But I'm wondering if, one, he's starting matches with too much to think about because he's got defensive duties and all this and it's not just get us back in the game. And two, other teams know about him. He's not an unknown quantity anymore and he does tend to get marked much more than uh, Jack Harrison who other teams have, have seen and they've decided we'll, we'll mark the other one. You can't fault Bielsa for taking affirmative action at half-time by taking off Clark, putting on Tyler Roberts and doing that thing. It was almost the kind of the, the opposite of the Sheffield United game when he moved Pablo to the wing, wasn't it? And he did the same here, shifting from the centre out wide and it, and it made the difference. Roberts as well playing a position that I don't think anyone really ever had him down for. But Bielsa's obviously seen something in him that he's decided, yeah, he can do that. He can. He, what he was doing nicely, which no one else was doing in the first half as well, was giving a pass and then making a run and actually dragging their defence out of place a little bit, which was making space for people like Klitsch and whoever to, to run into. In the first half, it just all seemed very static. We'd pass it across the pitch a few times, then we'd get tackled, win it back very quickly, but then just repeat it over and over again. He just gave a bit more penetration. Hernandez has always played a bit better when Saez is in the team. It's because somebody else is doing all the running and bringing all the energy and he can kind of just size up how everything's going, look at things while everybody scampers about and then you can give him the ball and he knows what to do with it. He's got a picture in his head of where to put the ball. But um, if Hernandez is in the middle trying to make all that happen himself, he's just not got the the legs for it. He can't occupy defenders. He's good at kind of just dropping off and finding that yard, is Pablo, when he sees how it's unfolding in front of him. It's like like an air traffic controller. Yeah. So if you keep him on the wing, he can judge, because he comes in quite a lot, he can judge from the wing how far he needs to come into the middle of the pitch and um, and what passes to play. Whereas if he's right up there behind Kimar Roof, it just doesn't work as well. Because Tyler Roberts didn't come through our youth system, but he's still kind of of that under-23 age, do you think he's sailed under the radar a bit? I think he did it well by being injured for the first six months we had him as well. That was very sly of him. Just let no one see him for a bit. But I think what Bielsa's done, he seems to have created a squad of sort of multi-skilled, multi-positional players now. We've got Alioski can play pretty much anywhere. We've got Roof, he's happy to play him out wide if he wants to. Roberts now he can clearly sees as a number 10 or a wide player or as a striker. It's just nice to have options. I mean, we've admittedly, we need options because... Every fuck is injured. But. So, it's always been part of his kind of small squad philosophy, as he said, from, he, he made that joke about um, Ailing can just play anywhere. So that means we need maybe five less players because we can just, if there's an injury, Ailing could play there. And it's always been part of the thing is you'll say, yeah, Berardi can play right back or centre back. So I need one less player in the squad because I've got him. Yeah, the injury did him great because he was just had no involvement in any of that Hackingbottom nonsense. <laughs> Sailed through it. The only criticism people had was that he might not exist. But now we've seen he does exist. And he is, he's, uh, I think he's just turned 20. So there's still a lot to come from him. And I like him. 
yeah, good on uh, Tyler Roberts for making the difference and Click as well. Felt like he needed that performance. The first goal was a, a wonderful, wonderful goal. Brilliantly shit, I think I described it as. Just a, was there even a shot in there? It just sort of kind of ended up in the net by sheer force of uselessness. I'd like to think of it as his little tribute to Phil, Phil the Singer. Singer yeah. yeah, fine tribute to his goal against Arsenal. It's a bit of a shame that that's the main thing we remember film at Singapore because he did score some good goals as well, but this was classic air shots, missed kicks, defenders falling over and then the slightest touch just to make sure it's not an OG. There was a nice bit with the, uh, as the Leeds players are running off celebrating, the Rotherham players are sort of looking at each other, almost wanting to appeal for something, you know, because it was just that crap. The keeper's kind of saying something to the defender and the defender just sort of turns away and is like, ah, shit, on it. So I was yeah. like, I don't know what to say. I'm okay. really sorry, mate. Appealing to the referee's sense of aesthetics. I can't allow something like that to happen. <laughs> but on the plus side, his second goal nicely worked. Nice reverse pass from Harrison as well. I have to credit that. Harrison did all right in this game, actually. He allowed Clark to take the brunt of the, the useless winger in this game. And he did very well when he took this ball. First thing he had to do was avoid click because he was running through and they nearly collided, took it around him and then reverse pass into his path. Some messy like feet into the penalty area and a just stroked the ball into the corner and then went absolutely fucking mental with all the uh, with the fans at the front of the stand. And that was nice. Yes, it's always good to see players and fans going absolutely fucking mental and uh, Luke Ayling protecting one of the fans from being hauled off by a steward. Probably hadn't noticed that the fan had previously gone like full British bulldog <laughs> on them, on one young woman who appeared to be trying to block his way to the pitch. But as long as there were no serious injuries sustained by uh, particularly a Leeds player. Do you see, was it um, Charlton was celebrating a goal and a fan ran on, mm. slipped and kicked uh, while the players square in the knackers? And we got, of course, there was uh, the recently mentioned Luciano Becchio had the, the neck injury after that um, bloke came running out of the cop and leapt on his shoulders and sprained his neck at Elland Road years ago. So it is a risky business, but as long as it's only uh, stewards, tend to be quite strong rather than spindly, weak footballers who are taking the brunt of our supporters. Absolutely fine. There was that glorious photo, if you saw it, taken from the away and behind that of the guy who's obviously trying to get over the barriers to celebrate has maybe caught a belt on the advertising board or something like that, has fallen forward and he's burying his ass for everybody and it was captured. Beautiful moment. Yes, absolutely. And you've reminded me that the, the Becchio one at Ellen Road, there was a photograph of Becchio celebrating with his back to the cop and you can see uh, the guy who's running towards him in a kind of a, you know when you get a photograph of a 100 metre sprinter just coming out of the, the blocks, it's exactly like that. And one, of those, one of those clickbaits, photos taken moments before disaster struck. Exactly like that. More of those things that can be recorded, the better, I say. Up to the other end of the pitch and Kiko's debut, what do you think about that? Touch of madness about him, which I like. Yes. There was one corner in particular at the end of the game, which, or it was a set piece at least, where it was right along the 18-yard line and he came flying out miles underneath it and I think ended up outside his penalty area um, when we were trying to defend the lead. And that was that was fine. I think he's he's put his marker down early. He will be punching. There's yeah. absolutely no doubt about that. He won't. There's every single person who kind of... Once he signed, thought, right, now I can stop yelling at our goalkeeper to catch the fucking thing every time the ball comes in there. But we had the head in the hands when they saw Kiko's performance. Punching is actually fine. I know, yeah. it's, not, I know it's not the done thing in British football. We like a man to catch a ball. We don't do that over here. Not the English way. It's not our culture. Not our culture, mate. 
There'll be an EFL investigation before long. Is he allowed to punch that ball? If you can punch it a long way... It's not volleyball. It's fine, you just reset your defence and it gives you... I'm sure statistically it probably works quite well. And Bielsa will have looked at that. When he punches it or writes to Jack Clark's feet and Clark just runs up and scores a goal, nobody will be complaining about his punching then. It's only when he uh, he completely misses it or, or does a Lukic-style back into his own net. Which will happen probably once, maybe twice a season, but mm. for the benefits that you get. Like, his distribution, how good was that? It's a new thing, quick, long goal kicks. We can counter-attack just by Wimbledon style, which is very exciting. I think we maybe have more to offer up front than John Fashionew and uh, name another Wimbledon striker, Michael. Robbie Earl. Midfielder, wasn't he? Well, yeah, probably. Terry Gibson. Yes, or Alan Cork. Um, We've got more up front than any of them. But no, I liked it. I liked that uh, the ball's going out dead quick. And he did produce one brilliant save as well. Yeah. Which was... which. This is going to sound like one of your hate campaigns, but Peacock Farrell will not have saved that. No. Bit of a stretch to say that, isn't it? Because we've no idea. He wouldn't Mm. have saved it. No, I've seen him. I mean, if you go right back to that one against Forest Green Rovers in pre-season that was about a foot away from his face and it just went in past his head at his near post, he's not saving that one. I mean, you've obviously explored his weaknesses at at great detail, Moscow, particularly in your famed reputation damaging video that you've released when he was looking like he was going to break through and replace Fideval that we've we've mentioned before in this, but I don't think it can be repeated too often. You you talk about exploring, but it's hardly like I was, uh, you know, exploring deep sea caves or anything. It was right there on the surface for anybody to see. But uh, I'm glad that... uh, our friend Salim Lamrani has been straight in with the nicknames on uh, El Gato. El Gato, the cat. He normally takes a while. It's only it's taken until the last few weeks. He's really ramped it up. We've had uh, Liam the Example Cooper, Pontus Yusein Bolt Jansen, Gatano the Lion Berardi was just before Christmas. So it's normally taken a couple of months for him to say, oh, you know, what am I what am I gonna decide? What because it's a big decision, because once he decides Liam Cooper, since becoming the example, is referred to it a couple of times. So it's it sticks, but straight in here. One game, one save, El Gato. Or El Gato, as Steve Evans thought. That save, all about the footwork, beautiful footwork there. You saw it just shuffle across, take that yard, give himself that extra bit of distance. Good goalkeeper. You say it was all about the footwork. It was also all about the dive and then the little extra stretch. And then he lifts his arm to uh, when he sees the actual trajectory of the ball, his arm just goes up a little bit to to make sure he connects. There's a lot, a lot going on after the footwork. Um, but yeah, bearing in mind that Bailey Peacock Farrell probably wouldn't have got as far as putting his shoes on. It's um, it's very good. <laughs> you really don't like him, do you? I love him in his. It shines through. Big, miserable face. We'll speak more about him in a bit. I think maybe if that's all right, let's just um, just sti- because you want to take more cheap shots at me. I enjoy it. It's fine. At least I won't let them in. <laughs> what I was going to say is this brings us round to still being top of the league is all I was going to say we're still three points clear Norwich because they drew obviously with Sheffield United big game for the weekend six points clear a third I know West Brom have got that game in hand but um, they'll be tired that cup run I just I really hope they keep winning well drawing I, I wish it was like the old days when you could have 14 cup replays they could have 13 games in hand on us by the end of the season and they've got to play Monday, Wednesday 
Thursday, Saturday. <laughs> You've got to remember, though, that because West Brom aren't Leeds, under those situations, they would just extend the season. How long do you need? Oh, we'll just hold off next year until you've played all these games. It's absolutely fine. Do one every 10 days, lads. Don't even worry about it. It does remind me of that spate of replays against Arsenal whenever it was. Was that in the 90s? 1991 season, I think, the first one after promotion. That was quite something. I remember sitting through those thinking, God, I'm a bit bored now. There was almost a sense of relief. And it was at Arsenal, obviously, we finally won that one. Yeah. And you think, at least it's over. <laughs> Four games, I'm fed up with this. And they were all on telly, weren't they, I think? It gets forgotten sometimes. That season, we were we did a classic uh, Riviera close to glory on all fronts. We were going for European qualification if we'd finished third. We were going for the FA Cup. We got to the League Cup semi-final against Scum and that got screwed up because of those replays. And the Zenith Data Systems Cup Northern Area final. The big one. Well, we lost to Everton. We could have gone to Wembley, but all that fixture pile up. We didn't play a league game for about two months that winter. Sadly, that's not going to happen to West Brom, which was the original point. (laughs) Well, back to this season. Lads, I, I want to go lads, back to that season. No, I, mean, I know how it ends and it's much more re- relaxing to know to know what the outcome is. We'll finish fourth and everybody's happy. We right. might finish fourth this year and no one will be happy. <laughs> lads, I'm going to put this one out there now. We're going up. All right? If we finish fourth, is that a home draw in the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah. Semi-final? yeah, again, I wouldn't be happy. Oh, no, that's home second, home isn't second, it? Home second, yeah. Yes, yeah. so that's what we want. So I'd be quite happy with fourth. Lads, that's all right. We're going up, aren't we? I'm saying yes right now. I'm saying yes. Shall I tell you why? Mm. Because we probably need 87 points is the average for second place, which means we probably need about another 32, 33 to guarantee promotion out of 17 games. That's 51 points available. We need 33 of them. We could still afford to lose six games, win 11, and we'll still go up. If we lose six games between now and the end of the season, I tried to think what the effect on the like GP surgeries in Leeds is going to be. I mean... Everything you say is true, but it's also true that, you know, you kind of have to discount Alioski's goal and we did lose 2-0 to Stoke. And then we've just kind of creaked our way past Rotherham after a second half, after a half time. It seems like um, Bielsa didn't just have to shout about blood at them, but he probably, maybe the reason he was kind of so quiet in the aftermatch press conference because he cut his own chest open or something and spilt blood on the floor to show them what it meant and he was feeling a little bit he needed a transfusion that's what the hug was for needed support (laughs) exactly just just press really firmly there because I've opened up my wound again (laughs) if it takes all that to beat Rotherham we're playing Norwich next and we've got to play West Brom soon Swansea all this kind of stuff it all gets quite difficult (laughs) <laughs> so every I, game looks really hard I have to say yeah that's why it was so important that we actually beat Rotherham because this is the last one for a while we actually go like yeah absolute banker no problem that we'll win that game and it became a massive problem <laughs> um, until I was shaking for everyone. several hours after this game and I, I was I was watching it home on a, um, a stream obviously <laughs> and my wife came in and she went why are you stood up because I was stood about <laughs> half a metre from the TV just sort of jittering about the place question for you boys would you like to be most like Marcelo or Salim Lamrani the intellectual or the biceps which would you like to be that's, it's a bit unfair to just purely d- diminish Lamrani's achievements to his biceps. I mean, he's a he's a professor, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's a he's, he's a written books, consistently published academic with a just a extensive critical past. And I've every reason to believe Bielsa's got a rippling six pack under there. Far longer answer than I was looking for, to be perfectly honest. Just a simple choice would have been fine because my answer was going to be you can be like both. Do you know why? Why? Because we've sent our leads Carajo mugs to Thorpe Arch, and they're both getting one. You can be like them, the coolest kid on the block with the sweariest mug. 
in the universe. I reckon Bales is probably quite embarrassed by that whole scene. I bet he looks back and he's like, oh, I, uh, I, I should not have done that. It was disrespectful to the opponent. Uh, I, I, I was in, in the moment I, I had a lapse and uh, I regret I, my actions. I afforded myself this excess of swearing loudly with a helicopter swooping over my head. But we love it and I hope he does it. And I hope he slides on his knees in front of Dean Smith as we're promoted against Aston Villa. <laughs> I hope he just quietly produces his Leeds Caraccio mug. And just sips from it on the uh, in the dugout. All right, Dean. It would be. Like you don't the, know what this means, do you? It would be like the 2019 reimagining of that, which what we're referring to is when Newell's won the league under his stewardship first time. Newell's shirt in his hand on the shoulders of the fans being carried around the pitch, shouting "Newell's carajo, Newell's carajo," which is roughly translates as Newell's fuck, Newell's yeah. fuck, but it's just an expression of rah. And we've done mugs and a t-shirt as well that say "Leeds carajo" on, uh, tapping into that for 2019. If you fancy getting your hands on those. And being like Salim and Bielsa himself, the squareball.net. Well, we've got a big one on Saturday. Uh, we'll get to that after we've picked heroes and villains after this. First of all, it's our final um, podcast before the transfer window closes. Daniel James seems like it's on. No denials from Swansea and seems to be we're dangling a fairly sizable fee in front of them. Mm, so seems I'll, like it's expensive. Oh, give over. You've been conditioned by Bates to think that all transfers are bad. Not at all. I mean, but I'm impressed if we do go to, it's being reported as uh, six million plus four million pound add-ons and while Swansea want 12, 12, they can go fuck themselves. Um, (laughs) A structured 10 seems a bit more reasonable, but it is a sizable outlay. But I'm not worried about that in this instance, because it seems a bit like this is the player we want and it's a player who at the age he is, it's not fucking Gary Medine. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Neil Warnock spent this and probably more on Gary Medine this time last season. He's already bombed him out on loan to Sheffield United. It didn't even last a year. Whereas um, if Marcelo Bielsa has decided that from all the players that uh, Victor Orta is presenting him with, Daniel James is the one for the next 10 years, then yeah, fucking pay 20 million for him. I don't care. When was the last time we spent 10 million pounds or a potential with add-ons 10 million pounds on a footballer? Robbie Fowler or someone? There was a whole thing about Bamford being the most expensive player since Fowler. He was seven, wasn't Fowler, he? Yeah. Seven rising to nine. Of Robbie Keane was 11 million. Was he the last of the big splurges? They're all retired anyway. <laughs> yes. Which probably tells its own sort. And they were all really young. We invested in the youngest uh, homegrown British players that we could find. And now they're all... And that went wrong, gone. so don't lie this guy. Just skip straight to Joel Griffiths or someone. <laughs> someone we can get for free who can never play. But it's peanuts, isn't it? If we go up, it's peanuts. Yeah, stick it on the card. Pay it off next year. And it's not so much that it's going to cripple us if we don't go up. It's a reasonable amount of money. It's a little... Last year we did this with Tyler Roberts. I think it was rising to four and a half for him, wasn't it? And he's come good and looks like he could be a good player for at least a while. Um, So do the same thing. And yeah, there's, there's different ways you can do it in January. You, you do get panic buys, but you look at Kiko Casilla. He's just a good goalkeeper available for terms that we can afford on a long contract, which means, you know, he's, he's a decent age for a keeper. This kid's a decent age for a winger, and that's all I really know about him. Panic buy at this stage would have been Jermaine Defoe or someone. Yeah. Just, someone, just get someone we heard of. Panic buy at this stage basically would have been any... Ashley Cole. Any player, <laughs> very good, would have been any player that anyone on Twitter has suggested we sign. That would have been a panic by Jermaine Defoe, David Stockdale. Don't know why we didn't get him in instead of Casilla. I mean, there was people talking about we should have got Robert Green, who 
as far as I'm aware, he's just completely given up on football. He's just Chelsea's sixth choice goalkeeper. Whereas this is the right way to do it. If there's a player there and the deal to be done, winger from Swansea, it could be the new Andy Robinson. It could be great. <laughs> Funny you mentioned about people who were mentioned on Twitter. It reminds me of when um, Celine Patel messaged us on Twitter to ask who we should sign in the January transfer window. Clearly not knowing our knowledge of football is abysmal. It's probably not that well known, but I, I replied to that and I went to meet him for a coffee. Do you remember? Vaguely. You'd already, I think you'd already met them when they first turned up, hadn't you? So there was a bit of a rapport there. And then they asked who Colin should sign. Yeah, asked who um, Warnock should sign. But also when I met him, it was in the Malmaison, in the bar mm. there in Leeds. And it was then that I learned that Becchio was being, quote unquote, a bit difficult about his contract and that he was likely to be sold. I was like, oh, right, okay. But who should we buy him to replace? Uh, I think left back was what we were after at that time, wasn't it? I thought it was a winger. Weren't you given the choice of a couple of wingers and they all sounded horrendous and we were expected to know the difference? The main thing I remember about this was you telling us that you had to explain the elite player performance programme to them and the, the incoming changes for all the academy system because they didn't have a fucking clue. Yeah, that's when the alarm bells really rang, was that? They, they didn't know about the categorisation of the academies, yeah. Yeah, and then everything else. I remember the the message. I can't remember the players that they were proposing, but it was, um, which of these players do you think Colin should buy? Yes, it was called him Colin, yes. 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 <laughs> anyway, that was the tip of a very, very large iceberg, that one. Thankfully, we're doing things a little bit differently now. Could you imagine? Imagine Angus Kinnear getting on the, on Twitter, so it's like, hey, Dan, yeah. could you <laughs> pop down a Costa? Marcelo can't make his mind up. <laughs> Need some advice. <laughs> Imagine me dispensing advice to Marcelo Bielsa. Oh, amazing. Anyway, uh, the number 10 that we touched on in the last podcast, the potential number 10, which, and we don't know whether this is a stalking horse to get Daniel James over the line or whether they are genuinely looking at a number 10 as well. And who knows, they might go absolutely bonkers in this last bit of the transfer window. By the time this comes out, we may, may have a number 10. And who were the runners and riders in this? Well, I've heard of one of them, the Wolves one, Ivan Cavallero. But he's good, from what I remember, so I can't he's see very good from what him. I remember. But he doesn't seem to play all that much. He comes on for them this season, but they've got Triore now as well. They just seem to bring him on every time as well, because he's mm. incredibly quick. But he did, I mean, he played pretty much every game from last year when they went up. Loads of assists, nine goals. I'd have him. 25 years old as well, so he's a decent age. They'd probably want more than uh, um, 7 million, especially given the 7 million that they paid to Monaco to buy him, especially given the way that we slagged off their methods of buying players last season, vociferously condemned their dealings with Mendes, basically acting as director of football for their club. We go along and say, oh, yeah, could we could we talk to Mendes about a couple of players? Is that all right? And then the other one just sounds like uh, somebody I'd buy on Championship Manager when I was about 12, 28-year-old Norwegian international playing for Fulham mainly used as a sub. Like, yeah, you do that half million pound deal, maybe bringing in a bit of, bit of a chance. He qualified for a World Cup, didn't get on the pitch. I don't know anything about Stefan Johansson. But he's played loads of games. He's he, played, he has played about 50 games or something for Norway. He's quite, he's fairly well established. Played a lot for Fulham last year. Mm. Frank Strandley played a lot of games for Norway. <laughs> so presumably now uh, Norwegian midfielders are going to bear the brunt of your hate campaign instead of uh, young goalkeepers. Now your, your dirty work with them is done. I just said I would buy him on Championship Manager, I would willingly hand over half a million pounds personally. I would do what Rio Ferdinand says that, uh, what's his face at Newcastle should do? If Mike Ashley won't buy a player, you buy the player. I would do that and I've never heard of him. I've never seen him play anymore. I'm, I'm ready with half a million quid. 
you would definitely do this on Championship Manager. You'd go for the. Uh, I'm sort of real life now. I'd buy him as a like to be my uh, my valet. <laughs> you'd do this though, wouldn't you? The 17 year old um, from the Polish third tier who's got some high stats and a good YouTube video, particularly with a name like Bogus. Not nothing is going to make me hand over more money than somebody called. Yeah, so we have a new player called uh, Mr. Bogus. For he does. You. He does seem it could be a prank. Just put a Z on the end of Bogus to make it sound yeah. vaguely Polish. Put a YouTube video out of some other player and just tag it as him. Sell him to Leeds United. It's Felipe de Costa again and just nobody's noticed it's the same footage. He looks very good on YouTube though. Lovely uh, strike on him. There is some disagreement about whether he's playing in the Polish second division or whether it's a little bit like the numbering here where it's League 2 and it might actually be the third level in Poland, which I don't imagine is the highest the highest level. You could tell behind one of the goals where he was scoring a lot of these net busters. There is a car parked quite uh, It reminded quite me a bit of the um, the old Chelsea ground. Yeah, Carl Schutt going to celebrate in mm. front of it. Didn't they once have a scoreboard? I believe it, it uh, malfunctioned. Mm. Entirely of its own volition. Mm. Just, uh, it was uh, dangerous, actually. It could have uh, someone could have been injured. I hope whoever installed it kept the receipts and uh, and remained calm. <laughs> Just in case you're not familiar with this, yeah, Matthias Bogus. We've signed him from in the sort of lower reaches. Yeah, he's due to arrive from Pong. Going yeah. the he's 17, so yeah. he's going in the under 23s, which is a bit of uh, as we like to call it the first team. Yeah, Jordan. Well, it's turning out that way because we signed Jordan Stevens and Arpo Halme like this last January. They were ones that. Uh, People were up in arms about, like, why aren't we signing anybody for the first team? And look at them now, the integral parts of the first team. So, could be good. Another one who's made that leap, Jack Clark, he's been linked quite a lot with um, various big clubs. Seems like a little bit of mischief making in the press. They're basically doing any angle they can to, to make it sound like we'll sell him because Leeds are very resistant to the idea of selling them. So Spurs are going to have to do a buy and loan back deal. So now Spurs are just going to have to fuck off because they're not having him. That's the answer. Don't invent this loan back thing. There was some talk as well about Palace bidding like three million quid for him or something was the first. You don't pay three million quid for anyone now particularly a very promising 18-year-old. Why would we sell Jack Clark for three million quid and then pay double that for Daniel James from Swansea? Why would we get rid of Luciano Becchio and replace him with Stephen? Uh, you did a walk with Ian Hart recently. Did he seem like he was short of cash? Well, he, was, he was rubbing his hands together the whole the whole time he was. Bearing in mind, he's the agent of Jack Clark, it's worth saying. Yeah, did he seem, was he, did he kept dropping, like, signing on fees into the conversation? He had high hopes for him. Percentages? But, I don't know. He's just signed a new deal. Everyone can fuck off. Can he's ours. <laughs> Although he did well to um, put off any watching scouts in the Rotherham game. Good performance to stick in just around the while well, the transfer window's shutting. That'll be the last anyone sees of him. Did well to drug him. And Hadi Sacco, another winger, he's uh, back from loan. Are we buying wingers? We've got one. <laughs> well, yeah. One of the best in the business. I mean, I don't know why we're so desperate to hold on to Jack Clark when Sacco is coming back from his successful loan spell. Ready to rip up the division again. He's basically not played, has he? No. And what's great, he went to Las Palmas and they are desperate to send him back. But uh, Leeds are playing hardball about taking him back. Saying, like, we won't have him until we can find somewhere else for him to go. Find the receipt and then you can have a refund. Yeah, bless him. I liked Heidi Sacco. It was weird how we signed him. Did we sign him when we didn't actually have a manager as well? Yeah. It seemed very much like a, an obligation for us to part of the loan deal that we'd agreed to buy him. Because he came in, wasn't that great. Victor Bloody Orta. Victor mm. Bloody Orta. All this forgiven. Victor Orta. Want to use that as a springboard into this? I had a thought around Hadi Sacco, because you'd kind of forgotten about him. Things you'd forgotten, or almost forgotten. Tell me, quick fire list. Have you thought about any of these recently? Union O'Kane? Humanist. Lawrence DeBock? Drunk. <laughs> Idiguchi? 
Probably. Unlucky. Yeah, poor lad. Had you thought about any of them recently, though? Have you just forgotten they existed? I think um, about Idiguchi all the time, especially when Grunther Firth, his club, said that he'd been rehabilitating from a serious injury, an injury in Japan and he was ready to join up with the first team's training camp in Turkey to play after the German winter break. All sounded very good. The next update that he'd broken down again and was probably going to be out for, for months. And final one on this list, Gerald Krasner. Have you thought about him recently? Have you forgotten about What's him? What's made you think of him? I bumped into him. Oh. <laughs> Actually physically bumped into him. As you know, I work in Newcastle and walking up the big market, just dicking about on my phone and physically bumped into Gerald Krasner. I was like, oh, it's Gerald mm. Krasner. I remember once seeing him sign an autograph for someone and they went, at least I've got someone to wipe my ass on now, right in his face. And I thought it was a bit harsh. <laughs> Did you speak to him when you saw him at the big market? No, I think the only words I might have said were, it's Gerald Krasner, but that might have been in my head. It might have come out of my mouth. I don't know. It's fucking hell, it's Fred Titmus. That's a, <laughs> an old school reference for the kids. <laughs> Moving on to uh, injuries, or should we call this the uh, the new Stuart Dallas injury update? He's, he's knackered now, old glass ankles. He's out for basically half of what's left of the season. Didn't even make it to the under-23s starting lineup. I was expecting that to be the... Uh, the theatre for his breaking down again. He needs to be very careful because he is heading into that group where you get used for parts. Very, very close to it. If anyone needs a bit of facial hair or something, Jack Clark will appear next week with a little beard. (laughs) Much, much slower than he ever was. (laughs) I mean, Dallas is one of those that I don't think anyone would have him in their starting 11, but it's just just nice to have some options because he's fairly consistent. And in a game like the Rotherham one where Jack Clark was just having a real off day, he would come on and do all right in that position. Yeah, it's damning him by faint praise a bit, isn't it? But he's, he's fairly solid. Yeah, he tries. And you look at the bench for the Rotherham game, and I don't think any of them, the only beards have seen is on Stuart Dallas's face. We have only got children backing up, so he would have been useful. Well, Douglas looks like he's on his way back, 45 minutes in the under-23s today, so you would imagine he's back in contention for the weekend. But what's happened to Bamford? He didn't play, did he? Well, there was a big medical update from Rob Price on Friday, and I think he was saying that um, Bamford started back in training again, but that it, I don't think he was expected to play in this under-23s match. I think it's still a little bit further away. Tricky. Nice lad like him. I I imagine he's probably gone away for like an aromatherapy spa break, maybe speed up his recovery, uh, laying on a nice table with hot stones on his back, some cupping and stuff like that. Maybe he's gone backpacking. Nobody's seen him for a while. He might just... On interrailing. Yeah do it Robbie Rogers stars I'm, I'm too hurt to play I'll just go exploring Europe for a while or he's, he's up Machu Picchu he'll Instagram it or something won't he finding himself paid for by Lord Bamford that uh, Brown you know that you saw in Bielsa's thing and he mentioned that Brown needed seven or eight games in the under 23s to get up to speed you would imagine that was in total rather than uh, from this point I think he's talking about getting him to the absolute maximum and he's got a point where he says the the way he plays with his dancing feet he's got a twist and turn so he's more um, more at risk of a, of twisting one of his limbs again. But I'm I'm sure he didn't mean he's going to play eight under-23s matches from now before he's even considered for the first team. It's just... He's gone full Dallas there. Yeah, it's like that's what he'll need before he's 100%. We can probably use him before then. He's just going to play... He'll play eight games in the under-23s. He'll probably make him play six games in the first team around the same time. He'll go completely full circle. <laughs> oh, we have to be very careful with him. He needs eight games in the under-23s, but he's also going to be playing a game every day in training. First team matches in the championship. And uh, and if West Brom do get locked into a FA Cup replay nightmare um, under old-school rules, we might let him go and play for them just to um, work him a bit harder. Because I kind of want to see him. I know it's become a bit of a standing joke, but I'm really interested to see what he can do. Yeah, it would be nice. 
again, just options off the bench that aren't children, even though he himself is about 23. Although there is the trade-off that as soon as he plays, we have to start giving Chelsea Football Club money. Ah. I don't like that. Just go the uh, Bolton approach. Just don't pay. Don't bother. No, that's fair enough. Don't give him it. Pretend we've never heard of Chelsea. Give all the money to, I don't know, AFC Wimbledon. Say so we got mixed up. So that's where Chelsea women play, don't they? At the Kingstonian uh, Stadium. So they can just, oh, we sent the check there. Have, have Wimbledon cashed it? In, oh. good, in good faith. Yeah, well, in good you faith. know, take it up with them. Small claims courts and you can, uh, best to look with that. And we need to crack on. So let's do this quickly. Then in a sentence, Gaetano Berardi, Moscow. Um, hurting a lot. Michael. Still has a part to play. Somebody who's probably not going to be playing a part very much, unless there is another mysterious injury. Bailey Peacock Farrell, quick word on him. Do you think Bielsa lost faith in him a while ago, but has just been keeping him in there to try and boost his confidence? Well, who else is he going to play? Will Hoffer. Will Hoffer um, has just made his debut for Barnet tonight. Going well? He's conceded three. <laughs> to Brentford. Right. In the cup, I think. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's reasonable. Uh, Brentford are all right, and... Um, I'm not going to start launching into Will Huffer. Um, <laughs> Make a video of it. Yeah, you could do a video, Moscow. We'd love to see that, your analysis of that. Oh, I mean, I don't know when Bielsa lost faith in uh, Bailey Peacock Farrell, but I think he's absolutely right with what he said about him. It's He's come into the first team. He's done his best half a season in the championship, some good stuff, some bad stuff, and it's probably a good idea. Take stock for the next four and a half years while Kiko Casillas' contract uh, runs. And then see where he is. Then he can maybe he can spend that time learning from a, a Real Madrid keeper, and then uh, and we can we can have another look at him. Then he'll be mature. That's Do you think he's bothered that he's learning from a Real Madrid keeper? Real Madrid, mate, fucking piss that. <laughs> right, let's move on to this. And please, can we just drop this subject soon? Because it feels like it's very tired now. Spygate talking about. It's kind of run its course a little bit now in the news cycle. The world's moved on a little bit. We're sort of at that straggler stage now, the 3am kicking out of the nightclub time. There's only a few dickheads still loitering mm. around, so let's give them a mention. It's all ready to kick off again, though. Just wait until they announce whatever the punishment is. That's going to be then when, like, just when you think it's all calmed down, it'll be like, no, that fucking wanker, you heard what he fucking said. And it all kicks off again. He's coming out of the ambulance. Not good. Sean Harvey's appearance on uh, TalkSport felt a little bit strange, but now having reflected on it, do you think there were a few sort of key points to touch on? And let me throw these at you. He wanted to reassure that the Football League was acting as as fast as possible, that the panel in it there would be independent Mm -hmm. making the decision, and that they were waiting for Leeds, so it was Leeds responsible for the timescale. That felt like the underlying message there. I think the underlying message was that Sean Harvey is a little fucking jack-off and he just wanted to be on the radio because he's a twat. No reason to say anything. I would take it as read that if the EFL were a competent organisation and the, the FA are investigating alongside as well, none of them have been on the radio to say, oh yeah, we're doing it as uh, fast as possible and we're going to be independent and we're waiting for these to go. All that could just be taken as read. Just shut the fuck up until you've made a decision. Don't go on Jim mm-hmm. White's programme. It just stealth it and having the photograph in the studio. Oh, look, we've got Sean Harvey here. He's going to tell us absolutely nothing that we, one, shouldn't have assumed for ourselves, and two, that when we ask him questions about Bolton's ownership, he said, oh, well, I can't really do anything about that. And even when they said, oh, we're going to bring in a uh, an anti-espionage rule, and he just says, well, I can't bring any rules in. It's up to the clubs. If the clubs decide they want a rule, somebody can propose it and then they can all have a vote. And if they decide they want one, then I can enforce that rule or not because he's never fucking enforced a fish supper. It was just fucking pointless. There is no, and it was just an excuse for them to get that fucking 
who owned Bristol, <laughs> back on the radio as well to ask him all the stuff that he'd said the week before. Oh, so last week he said, you know, Leeds should be dock points. What do you think now? Well, I think Leeds should be dock points. Hooray! Let's put that on the radio. Fantastic. Another successful week's work. Meanwhile, people at Millwall are getting slashed across the face with knives. Any mention of that on the radio? Has Sean Harvey gone on the radio to talk about that? Didn't happen at a football ground. This fucking espionage nonsense didn't happen at a football ground. It happened on fucking public paths, exactly where Millwall and Everton fans were fighting at the weekend. Can't deal with anything that happened on a public footpath. Here's 11 clubs. Millwall, one of them, with a letter wanting things investigated that happened on a public footpath with the most... Ah, identify whether any other confidential information, if they answer to E or F above is yes, please provide full particularity. All this fucking nonsense. People getting stabbed in the face. Uh, we don't do that sort of stuff over here. We do we do stabbings and racist chants and uh... it's the English sporting culture that Millwall are so proud of. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. One hundred percent online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. We'll dive into Norwich in a bit first. This it's heroes and villains, people who have added to or taken away from our last seven days. And we start as is customary. First of all, with the Ken Bates Villainy Award, an award conceived for, I was going to say the great man, probably the wrong phrase I was after. Him. Uh, if you worship Satan, you might think he is a great man. He made us feel quite sad when we first started doing this podcast. So we named the uh, award in his honour. He gets the first nomination as well. What has he been nominated for this time? Well, he made Sean Harvey, didn't he, really? Mm. Sean Harvey doesn't get his job he's got now without having been given the job at Leeds. That's true. Who else do we want to add to this then? We've already covered it, but just Millwall. As an entity? Yeah. The management, the players, fans, probably the stadium. Got something wrong with it intrinsically. <laughs> I don't know. They're just they're just dreadful. Don't don't we have to be careful of glass houses and stones? We do. And stuff we know we certainly do. And the the video doing the rounds of the racist chanting and stuff. I have heard people sing a similar song at Leeds games before. Not maybe in quite the numbers it was being sung there, but it's more the sort of sanctimonious way they seem to behave and seem to think that what they do is absolutely fine when it's them doing it, and that anyone should really give a shit about them. Well, that's the problem with nominating them for this is that they can't, by definition, have the award because it feeds into their no one likes us, we don't care mentality. So we've given them a nod, but we have to leave it there. Why didn't Ken Bates buy them instead of us? That would have been a match. Why did Ken Bates owning Millwall? That's the way history should have gone. But without Ken Bates taking over us and all the stuff that went before and then afterwards, would we be where we are now with Marcelo Bielsa in charge of Legion? Yeah, we could have just got him 15 years ago. Fuck all this. Straight after the uh, he'd won the Olympics with Argentina... Looking for a new job. When Don't George, go to Chile. Don't do any of that. Just come to come straight to Leeds. When George Graham left, should have got him then. Straight out of Ellis Sarfield, come to Leeds. 
Imagine how, so, he'd, imagine how he'd have done with that crop of youth players. I was going to say, imagine what he'd done with Paul Beasley and Richard Jobson. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would have worked wonders. Woodgate would have never got in the team. Who else? Nathan Jones, for me. Stoke manager. I know it's a couple of weeks ago, but Stoke have just published a photograph of him. Not strictly his fault. Looking, uh, I mean, if you thought somebody wouldn't appreciate it, you wouldn't have done it for him. So he's got to have something about him, whereas the kind of guy who would appreciate a massive photograph of himself on the wall in Stoke Stadium, celebrating the win over Leeds with his arms outstretched as if he is Jesus Christ superstar. It's worth pointing out that's the only game he's won. He has had three defeats. They went to Preston and lost after beating us. And yet still it's like, here he is celebrating his win over Leeds. And yet he may not have commissioned that photograph himself, but I bet in a a month from now when he's sacked, he'll be taking it home with him. Because we follow the Stoke fanzine as well, I kind of occasionally kind of delve into their, their timeline. And there is almost an air of... Thomas Christensen and, and to an extent Dave Hockaday about it of like come on we've got to get behind them mm. because they've been appointed even if they turn out to be really really bad it's kind of well, it's a new way of doing things and we've not done this before it's a bit like Ipswich did in the summer as well they're like McCarthy terrible football got this new guy in he's going to bring in some lower league players hungry talented youngsters and they've just got fucking panned every single week in this division and even if they're maybe not willing to admit it there'll be a fair number of them going oh Mick should have just kept Mick we could, have, we could have actually had some points if we kept me. Get it in, Mixer. I don't feel comfortable putting him in the heroes thing, even though what he's done is actually quite good this week. Um, but Stan Collymore for taking himself off Twitter. I think I think Leeds fans have basically defeated him. He's he's had to sort of backpedal, hasn't he, and go, oh, I'm, I'm going to take a little step away from social media. I think I've maybe not putting myself across in the right way. Do you think, Stan? And people keep mentioning things I've done in the past, which isn't really fair. But the reason he can be a villain is because he's saying that this week. Last week, he was tweeting like 18-year-old Leeds fans with articles about racism at Ellen Road in the 80s and going, you need to know your history. It's like, these people weren't born, Stan. And the things people are criticising you for are things you did. It's not things that a group of people you were sort of associated with did. That was that was literally just you who did those things that people are telling you about. So maybe to kind of phrase, take it on the chin. And if there's no one else, then I know it's a slightly smaller list than the last couple of weeks. Do we want to pick a winner from those villains? I think Collymore got away with it for a, a while. Yeah, he's been bubbling on the surface, and we could kind of take him as this week's symbol of of just Leeds hating bastards. Mm. He has been kind of the the most vocal representative until he silenced himself, escaped into the Ecuadorian embassy of Twitter exile. Although I'm sure if anyone's interested, you can probably still go down to Canuck and fight him, which is what he was offering people for a time. So don't let the fact he's gone off Twitter stop you uh, making that trip to the Midlands. Let's move on to the Hero Award, named after Andy Hughes, a a recent hero of ours, a guy who symbolised everything that's been right about Leeds in the last few years. Somebody who's brought happiness to us across the last uh, the last seven days. Obvious starter, Matthias Click for pulling that performance and the goals out of the bag when we needed it. And he needed it as well. Calvin Phillips, nice to see him back. I've missed him. And I thought he nicely simplified his play. There were a few times he just twatted it. <laughs> and I think maybe he'd, he'd got a bit of a bollocking for his uh, passing across the six-yard box and then possibly learnt from it. We did go a lot more direct in the second half. He was getting up to uh, to Roof and he was able to lay it off to Roberts and we played from there instead of uh, slowly trying to go through the middle to Hernandez. I think building on that uh, important tactical point about Phillips altering his style of play, I'd like to no- nominate... Uh, Darren McCantony, the Peterborough chairman, for uh, firing Steve Evans over the weekend for uh, just sending that 
horrible walking bag of chips back to the job centre. It gets forgotten because obviously we've all seen the clip millions of times of him saying, oh, but you know, does Marcelo Bielsa, will he know how to win at the New York Stadium in Rotherham on a, on a Tuesday night, go there and get a result? The full quote on that is absolutely, is before that, the reason he was saying all that was he was saying that Leeds fans would not want somebody like Marcelo Bielsa when at the time there were managers available. You look at the Steve Bruce got championship experiences. Mick McCarthy, a Yorkshireman. You know, are Leeds fans really going to want this Italian, whoever he is, paging Peter Shilton there? Who, it was on um, Sky, wasn't it? Where it said, the, this Italian guy, he's Argentinian, Peter. Even worse. Yeah. Should have nominated him for uh, villain. So getting rid of uh, the poetry of getting rid of uh, Steve Evans um, on that very... Admittedly, McCandley's still employing Barry Fry and he's gone and give the, given the job we referred to Stan Collinwood just there. Darren Ferguson now back in work yet again at uh, He's now at, at his, third, his third go there. Yeah. It's just like the default setting that just Darren Ferguson is their manager. It was nice when Darren O'Day ones. made him cry that time. When we scored in the last minute and he was going, four minutes. And the weekend was on, this weekend was only made much sweeter imagining Steve Evans' mascara just running down his big space up ahead, <laughs> dripping onto his lard factory that blocks his view of his tiny chipolata no, penis. No! <laughs> We've all imagined it. Have we? No, we have to keep the wolf from the door. <laughs> Crammed between his... Stop it. Wibbling thighs of <laughs> fucking two packs of Lurpak you, you, rolled into a fucking newspaper and uh, smashed with a mallet. Fair play to that Rotherham kid as well, the, the kid who blogged, and he's quite clearly a Closet Leeds fan. <laughs> Aren't they brilliant? Why, why Even, look at him. Even all the old older people are jumping around. God, I wish we were like them. Bless him. Just change. Yeah, I mean, it's, just go and buy a Leeds shirt and start coming to Leeds games. It's yeah. fine. Nobody, nobody we'll will care. We'll let you in. We're a very generous welcoming bunch. <laughs> I often look at other away fans at Ellerbone and think they're not having a good time. No. Someone like Reading, when they come, there's about 300 of them spread around 4,000 seats in the West End. None of them are singing. None of them are having a good time. Why are you even fucking bothering? And that's what's always interesting as well, is the way that they're so spread out. Like, if there's only 300 of you going to away mm. games, you'd think perhaps they've been there from the Elm Park days. It's like they've gone, around. oh, it's perfect. They've got loads of space. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to be near the other fans? Ooh, but no. instead, they're all just like, I'm not sitting near him. Don't like him. He's brought her again. <laughs> Let, let's go down here, away from that. I've had all this trouble at church last week. As they unpack their Waitrose sandwiches. Exactly. Even in the dark times, it felt like we had good fun. Yeah, it's always been a few thousand people getting pissed. It's always going to be all right. Even when you lose 5-1 to Luton. I feel like we should give a quick nod to the Lord God himself as well. Obviously, he's been a running theme for the last couple of podcasts. At Stoke beat us, showing God's preference for Stoke, but now Preston beating Stoke, which means they've currently got the baton preference of the big man upstairs. They've always been quite a theological club, Preston. I mean, their club badges a sheep with a halo. So they've got, I think they, they go out into the woods and worship it and like put little pictures of Tom Finney and other greats like uh, Neil Kilkenny and uh, Paul Huntington and just thank the sheep for its offerings. That's what um, the North Enders like to do. If God likes Preston now, then that's just another team that can just get into the playoffs and beat us. I do think I did say last week that they're, they're our current competition in the playoff final after we've seen off Derby in the semi. So now they've got God behind them as well. If he's smiting Nathan Jones for his ego, I don't even know who Preston's manager is. Is it still Alex Neal? Yeah. Yeah. So if I've not heard of him, he can't be an egotist. So, And that's what God likes. The meek shall inherit the earth. Alex Neal shall beat Leeds in the playoff final. 
I don't know what if that makes him a hero. Oh, it's God that's the hero, isn't it? A late nomination as well for the, the man we dismissed as a glorified physio. But there was a little bit of um, Paul Warren's press conference was caught on tape where he was saying, um, Jesus Christ, they're fucking excellent, aren't they? Continuing mm. the thing. What can you do? What can you do? Which was just nice. Yeah, he's, his jokes about uh, Spygate and stuff have been fairly spot on. Um, yeah, he's, he's not taking it seriously. There's no, not been any malice in them. It's yeah, just been, there's been some genuine humour there. They've not been weak. So if this all falls falls through, then he could have a backup career as a as a comedian. And also, having mentioned Steve Evans, he has turned around the team that Steve Evans obliterated and relegated and got them promoted again. And they are terrible, but they're in with a chance of staying in the championship purely because he's a decent, honest, upstanding, likeable bloke. He's everything that Steve Evans fucking isn't. So I, w- I would be happy to give him a, an award. And yeah, simultaneously smiting that uh, fat, useless bastard. Corrupt criminal bastard as well. Just remember he was... Uh, and you can call him that. Yes, he was convicted and then uh, cried. His solicitor said that he uh, he was too frightened to go to jail and that's how he ended up with a suspended prison sentence. Gravy tears yep. down his fat face. Who's having it then? It feels to me like we've got two main candidates here, which is Matthias Click for his big sort of uh, resurrection performance, if you like, mm-hmm. or Paul Warren for just being a bit of a nice guy. I think Click saved the weekend. It'd have been a vile weekend if we'd have lost that game. I'd have felt the need to continue to look at my phone. What's everyone saying now? Oh, they're all saying it's shit. It is yeah. shit, isn't it? Fuck's sake. It would have taken... So he saved us from a, a weekend of uh, Bielsa out nonsense. Um, yeah, basically. In many ways. So, yeah, click. Well, then, they all seem to be huge these days. Norwich on Saturday, biggest game of the season. They're all going to be like this between now and the end, aren't they? If we win this, then maybe I'll go along with you. On the going up thing. I'd really hope, though, that we left the days of Norwich being our fiercest rivals way, way in the past. Oh, they're not. I mean, they're not rivals, are they? Not not really. Mm, well, we're competing with them for but, the But, you know, in any, in any meaningful historical sense. We were also competing for them with them for the championship in 2010. We were at, we we were at our lowest ebb. Well, exactly, and they were there, and now we're on the up and they're there, and we'll probably, next time we win the league, they'll probably be fucking there. We can't escape them sniffing around our players. This is at least one team where we can say we do know some players who have played for Leeds and Norwich. We can name some, one or two, everyone, like a dagger to our hearts, probably through the, the history of the years we've been doing this podcast. It's like a, a roll call from... Bradley Johnson, Robert Snodgrass, Luciano, Becchio, Johnny Hausen, others. Steve Morrison. <laughs> I scoff at you. Um, that left back, Adam Drury. <laughs> yes. There's, there's obviously, there's the ones at the bottom of the barrel. Speaking of people you've forgotten, the re- only reason I remember his name is because he was. I saw a picture of some Leeds players from that era. Didn't have a clue who he was. I had to, I had to research who, who he was. I thought he was a member of the coaching staff. Seemed a good signing at the time. Tell you who else you've forgotten. Jamie Ashdown. Did he play from? Don't know. <laughs> I mean, if he didn't, it makes no difference. It's like we can we we've forgotten him, and now we've remembered him. Hi, Jamie, if you're listening, definitely played for Portsmouth, didn't he? And that's near Norwich. Yeah, it's all down south. Playing similar on the colours. Coast. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, we're going to win this one on Saturday, you know. Do you reckon? Yep. Their form has dropped off. They've started drawing games instead of just winning them all the time, which is a bit better. I think in this game, regardless of result, it's worth sending someone out to just destroy Timu Puki's legs because he seems to be the one who always scores goals from just fuck him up maybe this is Brady's job he still has a role to play he, he might not be fit enough to play 
but he can come on for the last minute and smash them on in half. That'll be the, another thing to galvanise us as the football world is in absolute despair over us deliberately crocking a promotion rival's main player. Minute silences up and down the country just because he's got a broken leg. Um, there you go. Stick that in your good faith pipe and smoke it. I did, after kind of uh, feeling a little bit like we'd we'd perhaps let some people down with our preview of the Rotherham game, I watched Norwich's YouTube channel highlights of the last few games and Pookie does look genuinely really pretty good and like he would probably fit into our system quite well as well like I I have a lot of time for the way that uh, Kimar Roof is playing and has been playing all season but if we can't smash Pookie on uh, on Saturday perhaps just kidnapping him because the transfer window will be closed by then but I'm sure we can get round it if we just uh, force him to play for us for the rest of the season Michael how are you feeling about this one shitting myself I wish it was an early kickoff so it doesn't have to ruin the whole of Saturday. Moscow. Yeah, also worried. I mean, their run of form, because it's really strange with Norwich because we absolutely battered them at their place. There was nothing special about them. Did them 3-0. Pablo Hernandez was brilliant. We scored one of the best goals we've scored for years. Fine. Then they went on a run where they won 10, drew two and lost one. And they've been good as well since. I just don't know where any of that came from. So it's kind of like... Normally you see a team play like Rotherham. They gave us a tough match at Elland Road and then they gave us another tough match on Saturday. So you can kind of, all right, you know where that's come from. I cannot relate the the Norwich team that we saw earlier in the season to the team that won fucking eight games in a row or whatever ridiculous thing it was. So I don't know who's going to turn up. I don't know. They're all playing tippy-tappy passes around the box, real quick football that makes me think Pontus Janssen, red card. Maybe Calvin Phillips as well. <laughs> get the pair of them left off. Um, Liam Cooper won't get a red card, but he'll probably find a way of injuring uh, Scott Wharton. Um, <laughs> just, I know he's far, far away, but... Pulling it back from your fantasy worlds, mm. there's a bit of a three into two problem here, isn't there, with Phillips, Forshaw and Click? Because you're obviously going to put Pontus back in. Who would you play in midfield? Calvin Phillips replaced Forshaw myself. I think Forshaw's been doing all right. But when you looked at the goal that Rotherham scored against us on Saturday, that's exactly where I would have wanted Mm. Calvin Phillips, the midfielder, to be that Calvin Phillips, the defender, doesn't get to. So, But I mean, I'm all in favour of dropping Pontus when Berardi's back. So my ideas are kind of, woohoo, a little bit crazy over here. Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. Possibly even more exciting than this table-topping clash against Norwich this weekend is the fact that issue seven of our fanzine uh, will be out for the Swansea game. I'd like to see Daniel James pulling on the white shirt on that day. On the cover of the mag, if we get the uh, if we get an early nod. I don't think that's what's going to be on the cover of the mag. Something exciting and wonderful is going to be on the cover of the, the mag if our art director, as he likes to call himself, <laughs> uh, is to be believed. If you fancy checking that out, it'll be on sale on the streets at Ellen Road and online too. And best way to support us if you fancy doing that, grab a digital subscription to our magazine. It's 12 quid. It's like a pound a month and you get all the mags for the last 10 years. Uh, you can find that. Links to it at thesquareball.net. Fingers crossed for a big result on Saturday. It's it's going to happen. I can feel it. For which team? <laughs> the Squareball Podcast. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit, 
that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the super light tree runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.